Blessed is the one who loves your word. Your ways are his delight. He knows that he needs it. He sleeps and breathes it, thinking on it day and night. Welcome to the Christ in Canon podcast, where we seek to think about biblical passages and themes with all of Scripture in mind. We hope this podcast will stir your delight in Christ and your confidence in the Word of God. My name is Mitch Chase. And I'm Justin Schell, and we want to welcome you to episode three of season one. And today, Mitch, we're going to be talking about types of biblical theology, approaches to biblical theology, how, how, how folks are doing this thing we call biblical theology. And this is a really important topic, Justin, because you would love for everybody to just agree on here's the one and single approach, and here's how everybody does it. But if you listen to people talk about the subject, and you read books and articles about how biblical theology is described and employed, well, it turns out there are a variety of approaches. So uh, I'd love to know uh, what you uh, have to pitch us for uh, getting this conversation going, thinking about these types and approaches. We talked last episode about what biblical theology is, and, and a short version of the answer could be, how does the parts of the Bible relate to one another? How, do, how, how, do, how does the whole inform the parts? Yes. And so I think that's a good place to start, because one way to get at this question is, well, how does, if I'm studying... Matthew, how, how does knowing what Matthew says, what Matthew is trying to help us see, um, how does that then build into or connect with the rest of the Bible? And so um, you, you'll hear many biblical theologians talk about the, well, you, you we're building on the work of exegesis. We're building on, uh, on work in the text. And those, those pieces start to build together. They start to connect together. And only then do we really start to get a, a biblical or a whole Bible biblical theology. What, what would you say about um, just kind of the, that, that, that process or those pieces? Well, that, that idea of parts and whole are so important in my own concept of how biblical theology works. And I am, I am fine with people talking about the theology of Matthew's gospel or using the phrase Matthean theology that you see sometimes in academic work. And we yeah. know that they're, they're focusing in that language upon what Matthew's gospel is instructing, what is laid out literarily, and how that differs maybe from Mark, Luke, and John's content and uh, in literary outline. And I think that kind of comparison is helpful, but we have to we have to remember the sort of book we are reading. And I don't mean the book of Matthew here. I mean mm. we're reading the Bible, and we're reading the two testaments of the old and new, and that means Matthean theology is going to serve and contribute toward the overall message of Scripture. And um, and I think biblical theology is therefore going to be concerned with how Matthew is reading the Old Testament. Mm. And that when we read Matthew through John together, those four Gospels are going to be this glorious symphonic set of harmonies uh, and crescendos that are enriching our understanding and that enrich each other as Gospels that are read alongside, rather than needing to be read in isolation. Uh, so I, I'm all for you know, zeroing in on some parts, being able mm. to look at specific things Matthean theology is doing versus something that's, you know, Johannine uh, for the Gospel of John. But we can't stop there 
with the full Christian reading of how these books function, can we? No, that's right. And so when we hear, say, uh, a D.A. Carson talk about, well, what biblical theology can include the theology of Genesis, mm. can include the theology of the books of Moses, you know, this, this, um, this body of the works of Moses. Um, it can include a theology of the Old Testament. So we're, we're getting bigger. Uh, but ultimately, the, the, the Bible as a whole, again, is, is informing the parts. We've got to do the work in the parts, right? But we also have to understand the whole because they are, we should be hearing, for instance, we should understand Habakkuk if we want to read parts of Paul. We should, uh, we, we've got to understand Isaiah if we want to read any of the, the New Testament. So, yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I like that. We, what, what are the types of biblical theology there? Are, there could be a, a theology of a book, of a corpora, of, um, of a testament, and, but we're aiming at the full Bible. Is that, and is we, that right? I think that's right. And, and we, we want our listeners to keep in mind that by promoting thinking about the Bible this way, in, in no way are we departing from the practice of exegesis. What we're trying to do is broaden the work of exegesis beyond a particular Bible book. Mm. If I'm reading Habakkuk and I'm reading Paul's use of Habakkuk in Romans, I'm doing biblical exegesis, even if I'm dealing with something outside of Romans that's helping me read it or mm. reading something earlier than Romans like Habakkuk and looking at how Paul's use of it works out. Yeah. Uh, so the, all of this is exegesis because it's involving these questions of the inner biblical connections. And if I'm looking at a quotation, if I'm looking at a, uh, an illusion, uh, if I'm looking at an echo, to borrow some of Richard Hayes's uh, famous terms, um, not that he invented the word quotation, but obviously in echoes of, of scripture, he's got uh, this kind of language pervasive to help yeah. us think about the way the Old Testament appears in the New. And, um, and therefore, we're asking questions that are exegetical ones. Um, that means canonically, when we think about how the Old and New Testaments relate, I'm asking an exegetical question when I read Matthew in light of something bigger than Matthew. I'm still trying to do exegesis. It's just not as zoomed in as if I'm trying to, you know, read and just reflect on Matthew 5's Beatitudes. I'm zooming out and I'm doing exegesis on a broader and wider level. Um, and and I, I want to emphasize that because we are trying to take the whole of scripture seriously, the whole counsel of God to bear upon. And like you said earlier, Justin, to, to inform and shape the parts. Yeah, that's good. And so one way to think about types of biblical theology could be, well, I'm looking at a, a theology of Isaiah, uh, or I'm looking at a theology of the New Testament. Um, so that, that kind of classification. There's another more recent kind of classification that's been um, a framework put together by a couple of scholars, uh, Clink and Lockett, mm. uh, in their book, Understanding Biblical Theology. And um, we're going we're gonna to try to talk about it a little bit. Uh, dear readers, we don't think you want to hear from us <laughs> uh, too much into the weeds on this, but definitely we'll put in the show notes a link to the book, uh, Understanding Biblical Theology. And uh, Clink and Lockett introduced five uh, categories 
of biblical theology. And these are, in short, these are things that have called themselves biblical theology, right? That's what, that what, that's what kind of allows them into the book. That's right. What we're going to find as we look at, at the categories is some of them are very different. In, in fact, you might say, well, if, if that's biblical theology, then this other one couldn't be biblical theology, but, but they've, they've all used the name. And so let's look a little bit at these categories and we'll, we'll interact with them a little bit. Um, Mitch, should I try to give a, a summary of, of the types or would you like to have a go at that? Well, I'm going to mention this, this first one here that's on my mind because it's biblical theology as historical description. And uh, alongside that particular chapter, there are four more, because you mentioned these five types. Mm-hmm. So biblical theology as historical description, followed by biblical theology as history of redemption, mm-hmm. then biblical theology as worldview story, biblical theology as canonical approach, biblical theology as theological construction. And these are these are meaty labels. These are these are filled with with thick uh, meaning and scholarly unpacking uh, as Clink and Lockett lay it out in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think um, maybe we can make some high level comments and and we can drill in a little bit the things that that pique our interest on it. But I, I think I would start one of the things as I if people are interacting with this book and they're struggling with these types of biblical theology, I feel okay. <laughs> this is just me to say to some of uh, maybe to students or to friends who are exploring this type one, we wouldn't call that biblical theology today. Hmm. That's, that's not what we, what we mean. That's not what an evangelical uh, biblical theologian would mean today. When we say biblical theology, it's much more of a, a history of religion. We're trying to get behind the text Right. We're really trying to avoid theology in a lot of ways and just ask, what would a an Israelite man living in 1500 B.C., what did he think was going on? But maybe even what what really was going on? How can we recreate what was really happening so that this person thought that they walked through the Red Sea on dry land or something like that? That's that's probably probably a little snarkier than I than I want to be. I apologize. (laughs) Well, what's um, helpful is, uh, you know, this description of uh, the historical nature of things and trying to get behind events and texts like you're unpacking, um, it's associated with the historical critical approach, which is not interested in uh, particular Christian assumptions and convictions about reading the Bible. But uh, as as Clink and Lockett lay out at one point, that um, the task of, of this approach is historical and critical in the use of this is the object of the academy, not the yeah. church. Um, right. I'm, I'm interested, as I know you are, to think about the Bible and biblical theology as a topic in a way that coheres with the history of the church and Christian interpretation and serves the contemporary needs of the church and our understanding. We're, we're, not, we're not trying to just go through an academic exercise in the subject of biblical theology. We actually do have the church as our object, unapologetically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the Bible is a book um, breathed out by God. And it's about it's about God. It's not about um, uh, Bronze Age civilization so much as it is about what God has done and has said in history. 
Um, similarly, I might tell a friend who's reading this for the first time, uh, category five, I think I agree with Carson when he says th this really seems to be a, a an overlap with what is currently called theological interpretation of scripture. So this is um, reading the Bible theologically to 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 to, uh, to boil it down, and, and so it would include anything from biblical studies to systematic theology to any way you can think theologically about the 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 work of reading the Bible, and. and we're not saying that any of those things are necessarily are bad approaches to reading the Bible, but um, it's kind of that biblical theology has gotten that tag, that, that label has been drawn into this swirling sphere of theological interpretation of scripture. And so some things have been called biblical theology in that category. And, and, and biblical theology can be, it is a theological reading of scripture. That's right. Uh, but in some ways, I would agree with Carson would say that, well, it, it seems to involve everything. What's what's not in this? Um, <laughs> so it's it's not that helpful in a lot of ways of a of a of a category. What, no, that's what, just, that's a fair point. Yeah. No, I think it's a fair point. We um, we we do want to emphasize how theological reading of Scripture is involved in the task of biblical theology. So, by by leaning toward you know one of these types besides one and five, uh, we're not we're not trying to exclude theological reading. Um, I don't think it would be possible to exclude theological reading. I'm convinced that the uh, supposed unbiased and neutral objective approaches don't actually end up being those kinds of approaches at all, since everybody has theological convictions informing their reading. Um, so looking at one and five like that are helpful. And I want to add in uh, type two, um, biblical theology as history of redemption. And um, as Clink and Lockett explained, this particular type relies on history to discern the normative purposes of God as unfolding through the scriptures. And, um, and this is intriguing to me because there's the redemptive epic, the redemptive trajectory of scripture. Mm -hmm. um, my understanding of biblical theology does resonate with that yeah. uh, because we, we recognize that the God of the Old and New Testaments is purposeful. Mm -hmm. And he has brought about a redemptive story in both shadow and fulfillment, both, both pattern uh, slash promise and uh, and fulfillment through inauguration and ultimately consummation that has to do with Christ. And, and that means the redemptive history of things matters significantly because mm -hmm. his providence has ordered his word and the events of history to testify of this. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So with that, that being, that's category two. So it's the, the unfolding story of redemption and, and then the three is worldview story, and then four is canonical. I wonder, Mitch, if if I could ask you, um, how how do those things, those three categories, you think, how have you seen them relate to each other? Um, because yeah. obviously uh, that that second category, most of the practitioners there that I know would also say um, there's something about story that shapes what they're doing. And they're certainly dealing with the whole canon. That's right. And so how, how do, how can we understand these three different categories? Are they, are they clear categories? 
Well, not, I, I think it helpful. Yeah, we're running up against, I think, what turned out to be a legitimate criticism of the book when it was released. And mm -hmm. um, as much as Clink and Lockett are trying to be helpful with these categories, we do recognize that if this was put out in a Venn diagram, there's some overlap here because you can't tell the history of redemption without invoking some canonical elements. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't focus on a uh, worldview story without invoking historical narrative as well as some canonical elements. That means, I think, um, some overlap exists with type two, three, and four that I'm comfortable with. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not convinced somebody has to find themselves cleanly and nicely in one of these five types and it doesn't, you know, spill the banks into another one. And in fact, I think our approach to biblical theology is probably more multifaceted, isn't it? That's going to take mm. uh, various strengths of these approaches to employ them in a way that feels that feels more um, like a, like a combination rather than clear compartmentalization. Mm. And uh, that's been my own reading of of these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, and and I think. We would both say, while we can critique that these these categories aren't as clear cut as maybe um, the the chapters make them sound to be, uh, I don't know of any other book that's really sparked as much helpful conversation around what is biblical theology as this one. And so I think we're all we're thankful for the book. Um, yep, been helpful, and uh, those brothers have done a a, a real service to us. Um, well, maybe we'll have an, an episode in the future on if we created our own taxonomy, what would it, what would it look like? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I, um, I'm also thinking too, with this definition of worldview story that, uh, that they give in the book, uh, this is in chapter five, but in type four here, the worldview story affirms the overarching story shape or narrative connection between the old and new testaments. And well, to that, we say yes and amen. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that seems crucial to the kind of task we're wanting to do to employ that. Now, I know, I know there's much more to the chapter than just that line, but even illustrating that, hopefully readers um, who, who approach things similar to us uh, would be able to hear that definition and, and feel, feel uh, a resonance with that. Because if I add in um, the, the fourth approach, um, I hope I called the previous definition for the third approach, but this one now is the canonical approach, the fourth one. This canonical definition, it says um, a canonical approach challenges the assumption that the earliest historical events play such a determinative role in the capacity of scripture to have authority or to render reality. The canon serves to enjoin the historical meaning of the ancient text. And, um, and this means we do, we do concern ourselves with the interesting question about what the ancient readers would have understood about Exodus. However, this approach is helpful to us because we recognize the ancient readers do not know about the text, everything that we know canonically about the text now in Christ. Mm -hmm. This is significant for us because of the progressive revelation of scripture. That means... I can't stop in the task of biblical theology by reading something in the book of Genesis and saying, well, I can only say about this text what the initial readers of the book would have known. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason we can't stop there is because the canonical approach 
affirms the divine authorship of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And therefore, are we interested in considering the initial historical context? We, we include that question and we do not limit ourselves to that question. Right. Yeah, because Jesus, the apostles didn't do that. Um, right. They seem to think things were progressing and that, uh, and often they would say, don't you understand what was going on there? Let me tell you. Well, we are here at the very end of this episode. Mitch, I wonder if um, you could give rapid fire one minute answer <laughs> for say you're first year students and you're trying to help them understand why why they need to be a little bit aware of these these categories or approaches mm -hmm. to biblical theology. How what would yeah. you say? I think it comes down to the gradual exposure to articles and literature and books that happens in the course of our lives. You don't want to read the first article you get about biblical theology and think that's going to settle the matter. You don't mm -hmm. want to read the first book that you come across about biblical theology and think that settles the matter. You want to you want to bring in a diversity of explanations and definitions and applications so that you can do the hard and sometimes even longer work of just sorting through that. It's just going to be better for us in education and formation as individuals. So that's why I think labels like this can be significant as, as well as uh, recognizing the limits of those categories. Some overlap is understandable and reasonable. So grant, granted that uh, it's going to help us just think better about biblical theology. Yeah, yeah. Each voice helping us get a better, a clearer picture of 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 all that God is is telling us in His Word. Amen. Yeah. Well, dear listeners, thank you for joining us here on this episode of the Christ and Canon Podcast. We hope you've been encouraged, and hope you'll join us again on the next episode. Plant me down by your deep, deep water